Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Fustel Fit podcast health and fitness show today i caught up with lydia the lifestyle coach and she helps the humans she helps the humans us to end habits that they don't want and create ones that they do she teaches us how to create sustainable long-lasting changes using nothing but brain using our brains and some common household items plus you don't even need the household items the principles she teaches are a combination of neuroscience and mindfulness A pioneer in the eating disorder comedy genre, she specialises in helping people have freedom from food craziness like binge eating and bulimia. And having coached over 500 personal clients, she coaches from a vast array of experience. She is the author of How to Stop Binge Eating and Be Successful at Everything Else, which can be downloaded at lydiawente.com. She is the creator of Beat the Binge program and the Meet Your Brains video series, also available at lidiawente.com. And her videos are released every Monday. So without further ado, welcome Lydia. Hello. Hello. So I totally feel like I know you, Nicole, but this is really <laughs> the first time that like we've like talked. I'm like, oh, I'm hearing your voice. Like, I, I guess we haven't done that before. I feel like we're like buddies, you know? Yeah. Well, I've heard your voice so much. This is really weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be on and just so exciting. Thank you for thinking of me for your podcast. Well, of course, you were like, I have to say, when I first started this journey, and it must be about six months ago now, I read Katherine Hansen's book. And then from there, I just went crazy and just searched her everywhere all over the internet. And then I found you. You were the next person that I found. And then from you, obviously, you've got all of your interviews and you just opened up a whole world for me of body positive people and just literally changed my life. So I'm really grateful to you and happy to have you on the show. Oh, I love hearing that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> and I mean, there are, I mean, people did that for me. It's just like this this virtuous cycle of like all these great voices and I'm so happy that we're, that we're both part of that. So. <laughs> so I'm gonna dive straight into the questions. Can I ask you, um, just going back to the beginning really, what life was like for you? Because I think I gathered that you were maybe a fitness professional or you used to coach people with weight loss. If you can just take us back through your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I I used to be a crazy person. I mean, I guess I still am in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, but in ways that are like less disturbing to my life. So um, I... Um, really got my my start in wanting to just help other people and help improve their lives in sort of a weight loss way. So I had my own story where I you know did a program that I really enjoyed and um, you know I lost weight very quickly. It was kind of the first time in my life that I'd been able to lose weight and it was really exciting and I just loved being thin. I just like loved feeling like I had control over my body and I was like, why is anyone in the world overweight when we could all be thin and it will all be amazing? Okay, I just want to give a reminder, this is how I did think. So stay with me if you're like turning this off right now because I I don't like talking about how I was either, but I'm being honest, Um, but we're getting there. Um, And so yeah, that, that was my main focus and I really built a career helping people to lose weight and weight loss, that's what it was all about. Um, And what I found in my life is that it was became kind of an obsession um, for myself and for others because a lot of times we judge ourselves, you know, and others in sort of the same ways. Was okay, well, you know, how can I be thinner? Okay, well, thinness isn't enough. How can I be more fit? Okay, um, how can I eat better? And how can I eat cleaner? And how can I eat less? And how can I eat even less? And what happened was kind of this this back and forth where. I just always was trying to do more because nothing felt satisfying and nothing seemed like it stayed. Like I felt like my body was constantly wanting to gain weight back. And it was like I had to do more and more and work harder and harder to keep myself at that that low body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. And I found myself with this behavior that absolutely terrified me of I would slip up like I was, you know, trying to stick right to my eating plan and then I would slip up and I would have something not 
not even that crazy, you know, just like maybe, you know, extra vegetables or something like that. And it was like something took over my body. I just felt completely hijacked and I would just eat and eat. I never felt a feeling of fullness. I just ate more and more and it would escalate and I would eat, you know, lower and lower quality food and just feel completely insane the whole time. And the only reason that I stopped was that I was in physical pain from the food that I had consumed. Like I literally couldn't eat anymore and I would lay down and I would just wait to be able to digest so that I could eat more. Like I felt, of course, terrified on the physical side of why on earth am I doing this? I felt terrified from an identity perspective because my identity was was health and thinness and fitness and improvement. And for me to be able to do these things felt like a complete identity crisis. So you were and, already helping people at this time with their weight loss journeys, were you? Uh, yes, yes, I was. Like I, that was my career. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there was also this huge dissonance of like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to do my best to hide this and then try to be the perfect example and just be, you know, terrified on the inside about all this. Yeah. So it was really this show that I was having to keep up for a long time. And I did care about these people. And I assumed that none of them were struggling in the same way yeah. because I really thought it was my own brand of crazy. Like no one in the world does this. There's something severely wrong. So then, I mean, on the other end, I would need to make up for it. Like, okay, wow, I ate all that food. Well, now I have to eat even less. Now I have to work even harder. And then it would happen again. And it wasn't for a really long time until I identified it as food addiction. I'm putting that in quotes, even though you can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's kind of what I stumbled upon. But it was the first time in my life when I realized that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only one who had this sort of relationship with food. Um, and then I came to a place where authenticity became very important in my life. And I couldn't keep it up anymore. Like I couldn't live a life that felt so dissonant with what I was doing and then how I was appearing. And I decided to come clean. And it was actually on a national call with tons of people tuned in that I did once a month, you know, about health and weight loss and la 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 wow. la that I really just came clean to my story. And I'm like, Hey, I don't have the answer for this, but this is something that I'm struggling with. And I just, I can't be unauthentic anymore. <clears throat> and it was the scary thing for me because it was career suicide in my mind. I'm like, the good times are over. Like, authenticity became more important to me than my career, than, you know, all of these sorts of things. And what happened was unexpected and the exact opposite. So I had just like messages and emails and all of this stuff about so many people that were struggling in the same way that they had been keeping it a secret too. And it was kind of like, okay, the secret's like out there. Um, so now what do we do? So can I, I just stop of... you there for a second? So yeah. how long were you like suffering in silence and, you know, on your own with your, um, you say, food addiction um, before you then re wanted to address your audience and sort of come clean? It was like, it was like years, <laughs> like maybe about four years at that point. So did you know that you had an eating disorder? Well, I just... I didn't label it as an eating disorder at the time. I I just labeled myself as a food addict. So it was less like a disorder and more just like a, a flaw in myself, you know? <laughs> um, it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, well, and I have binge eating disorder and, oh, it, it's bulimia too. You know, and I sort of put all these other labels on it. But yeah, it was quite a while um, that until I came clean. But then once I did, I was really seeking help for it. But that you must know, have been so hard to actually do it publicly before you'd even worked things out for yourself. Yeah, and that was that was something that I was always hoping, like, you know what, let me find an answer first. Let me find a way to figure this out, and then I can come clean, like, oh, this is something I used to struggle with. Yeah. But look, I have the answer now, and I fixed myself, just wanted to let you know that was a thing. But I didn't know how to fix myself, and I kind of got the idea in my head that maybe this would be the way that it is for the rest of my life. And not being authentic became more painful than 
the idea of going kind of public about it. And I'm not saying that anyone else needs to be public about any sort of their stuff. Just for me, that was my journey of authenticity. But it's funny, that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you later on, because I did the exact same thing with my clients. And although we didn't do like video conferencing or anything, but I I sent them all an audio. I was kind of like hiding behind the audio because they couldn't see me and it wasn't face to face. Like I wasn't going to see them individually. And I'd said to them, look, this is what's happened because before the change, <laughs> I um, was giving them diets as well. And I was promoting all the weight loss that I had done for myself. And I, you know, they'd seen the results in me that I'd lost so much weight. And so my coming clean was like, you know, I was wrong. I gave you the wrong information and now I'm re-educated and this is how we're going forward. And I'm so sorry. And if you want to leave me and find another personal trainer, you know, that's fine. (laughs) But I had to, I just had to come clean. It was just, I couldn't be authentic as you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to congratulate you like for that bravery. Like I feel like admitting, like for both of us, like admitting that you're wrong is maybe one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. And then you realize it's one of the most rewarding things you ever did. And, and for me, it kind of like, it kind of broke the dam and I just realized, wow, I can be authentic about lots of things. And it was this, it was one of the most important kind of phases that is still ongoing in my life of like, wow, like I'm going to look at what I think I'm going to look at what I do and I'm going to be willing to be wrong about it. I'm going to be willing to tell people that I was wrong. And that's just been one of the most beautiful things in my life to not have to hide behind a perfect example to just admit like, Hey, I, a struggle and I was wrong and I'm always learning and you don't have to be perfect when you don't tell yourself you don't have to be perfect you can just be you you know yeah I think that's what everybody loves about you because you can it really comes across when you speak and in your videos thank you so much that's a wonderful compliment so (laughs) So going back to your um, eating disorder then or disordered eating so how and when did you actually get help Yes. So I, I sought help in a lot of ways, a lot of therapy techniques. I was trying kind of all the traditional, you know, track all my triggers and, you know, you know, make sure all of my emotions are even keel and, you know, don't have any sort of food in my house that tempts me and avoid every. So it essentially became a full time job on top of my full time job um, to try to do something about my eating disorder, not to cure anything, just to barely get by. Um, by not binging, you know, I would track the days, you know, since my last binge, you know, I got up to like 90 days one time and it was this big deal because I really just thought it was just like this, you have to just keep going to change your brain and, you know, to just kind of be okay. But I had this feeling in the back of my mind that, you know what, I really feel like if there's some way that I caught this disease there has to be some way to get out of it. Like I didn't used to be this way. I didn't used to be this way. And I had this sort of hope. And then I ran across this book, um, a friend, Wendy Hendry, she, she was a binge eater as well. And she said, Hey, by the way, um, I'm done binge eating. You should read this book. And I did not believe her at all. Um, but I ended up getting the book brain over binge by Katherine Hansen. And I never binged again. I wasn't even through the book where there were all of these sort of like, like mindfulness practices and understanding my thought and these sorts of things that had helped me so much in life that I never knew that I could apply to my eating disorder because I thought it was this whole different thing because there's very much this concept out there that you have a disorder, that this is you, this is your identity, Uh as opposed to this approach of like, you know what, you have a habit. So just break your habit. And really like that understanding was a thing that turned it around for me and everyone has a different experience, but yeah, I was done. I was done and I wanted to help other women to do the same thing. And that's, that's what I do now. And I, I love it. It's so rewarding because I really feel like everyone can be free of food crazies if, if they want to be, you know, like we're not messed up. We're all okay. I'm not worried about if you're within the sound of my voice, I'm not worried about you at all. You know, there's just probably a habit and some thinking that needs to be adjusted and you can be as free as you want to be. So that's, that's my story. So did you actually have therapy? So I didn't, um, I was planning to go to formal therapy, but I actually found brain over binge right before that happened. I did a lot of therapy techniques and I was working with 
um, those sort of principles with a coach who was helping me, but it wasn't formal, like eating disorder therapy. Um, although I'm familiar with it. I mean, I have so many clients who have had, you know, 20 years of therapy. So it's something I'm familiar with, but I didn't personally have yeah. that experience. And all your experience of therapy with other people and, and the work that you're now doing with Catherine, the author of the book, um, and she talks about conventional therapy and why it doesn't work. Why do you believe that it doesn't work? Yes, well, there are lots of reasons. <laughs> um, and I also want to just put a disclaimer out there, like, that sometimes it does work, you know, like, the success rate is low, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing. So like, I say, whatever's working for you, like, go with it. But if something's not working for you, then I think it's really nice to have an alternative approach yeah. out there. So a couple of things that that come to mind is the idea of a lot of you know, traditional therapy techniques are that you just need to, to find the root cause of your binge eating because your eating disorder doesn't have anything to do with the eating. It has to do with what you're coping with or how you're using this behavior. So it's like, well, it's not about eating. It's, it's about like your stress or it's about your relationships. So the idea is to kind of find the root of it and then fix that. And then your eating disorder will naturally go away. Well, what happens with a lot of women in their experience is that they go to therapy for many, many years and they fix that stuff. I have so many women who come to me and say, you know what? Like my eating disorder was supposed to be at that stress. I quit my job. I got rid of all these stressors in my life, but it was still there. Like I was still binge eating. So then I was like, well, it must be something else. So you look at something else and you start fixing all these things in your life, which is awesome. I mean, it's great to get rid of stress and fix your relationships. But if you would like to get rid of your eating disorder, I find that the approach of it's, it is about the eating. Like it's a habit that just has to do with the eating. It doesn't need to be attached with anything else. You don't have to find all the roots of it. So that's one reason that a lot of times therapy cannot serve many women is because they're, it's an indirect approach. You're trying to fix the thing that's the cause of your eating disorder. It kind of creates this victim mentality of like, well, of course I have to binge eat. I know for me, a lot of times my path to binge eating again was, was just the belief that like, well, I have to do this. Like I do this to cope with emotions. Mm -hmm. I don't have other coping strategies. So I have to binge eat. It was like a, I didn't even think to not do it because I had to. So when you realize you don't have to, you're in control, you know, then it's a very, very different dynamic. So does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, definitely. And it's funny you say that because I remember some of my last few binges when I knew I was going to give it up, I kind of felt like, do I want to give this up? Because I even thought I enjoyed it. And it's so funny now because it's so, not an enjoyable experience that I would relate it to something that would be enjoyable. Yeah, that's a great thing to bring up. And I think that comes up a lot with, well, there are things that you're getting out of it. And it it's a lot of times a pleasurable experience just because you're not having to try not to do it anymore when you're doing it. Like, yeah. and a lot of times people don't think of it from that angle and there may be some, you know, enjoyable things and, you know, to reinforce habits that we've, you know, been practicing that is satisfying in a lot of ways, but although we might not be able to imagine our lives without our eating disorder, just know that you don't have to, like, and you can always go back to your eating disorder. Like there's no have to, it's just like, you know, would you like the freedom to not be doing it and see what it's like on that other end? You don't have to have a vision of it. You just go ahead and stop binge eating. I have so many women that are like, well, wow, what do I do with myself now? I have all this time and all this energy because I'm not binge eating anymore. And it's like, well, now you get to decide what you want to do with that time. It's, it's a journey. We don't have to figure it all out, but just kind of moving in that direction can be really rewarding. It doesn't have to be a declaration of now I'll never binge eat again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, a, oh, okay. Well, what if I just, I always tell people just practice just have this experience. You can go back to binge eating anytime. But what if we just practice these principles? See see if they serve you in your life. I'm not promising anything. I'm not telling you anything's going to happen. Have your own experience. Yeah. And then just see how that feels. So how do you think most bulimia or binge eating starts? Good question. You know, I think the ultimate thing is to just be aware of that everyone's kind of on a different journey. And essentially, however it started, 
doesn't necessarily matter as much as maybe knowing some things to prevent it from coming back again. So to kind of sort that out a little bit, I know that's not clear so far, but you know, there are people who have been binge eating since before they can remember, since they were little kids, just for some reason, they started doing it. It can be an emotional thing. It can be, however it started, they can be a lot of different reasons, but usually the reason why it continues is because it becomes a habit and our brain perpetuates habits and yay for our brain. Like it's really good at doing what it does, but when it starts perpetuating a habit that doesn't serve us, then that's where we get into a sticky place. So a lot of times, however it started, it keeps going because of the habit that we formed. And then the other side of it is that um, a common way for those habits to get started is because of deprivation. So that can either be, you know, physical deprivation, like we're not eating enough. It could be mental deprivation, like we think that it's not okay for us to eat, you know, you know, whatever. Um, and a lot of times our body reacts in a way because it's so good at its job that if we're trying to starve ourselves, our body will kind of create these incessant you know, urges to eat more and it will turn off our hunger signals so that we can eat more without any sort of, you know, obstacle to that. And we see our behavior and we get terrified. But what we can really look at is like, you know what, our body just has these amazing survival mechanisms where if you are depriving yourself of calories, then your body's going to fight back against that. It's not going to let you starve yourself. It's ultimately up to you what you do, but there will be a whole lot of resistance from your brain. Um, even just telling yourself you can't have something, your body naturally will start craving it because it doesn't want to be deprived. Yeah. It, it knows that food is your survival. So, And are you talking about mental restriction then? You know what? It can, it can be both. It's it can be either, I should say. It can be both. Um, physical restriction, like with my own experience, physical restriction, well, and mental restriction, but I was cutting my calories down so low for so long that my brain and my body just kind of started fighting back. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also, you know, women who they're not physically restricting their calories anymore, but there's still a mental restriction of, no, I can't have that. I'm scared of food. You know, like that's, this is good food. This is bad food. Putting moral judgments on it can be a factor as well. And there are women who don't have any sort of deprivation and have gotten rid of that, but they're just in the habit of binge eating. So you just work on that habit. So however it started, there's definitely a way out of it. I believe that anybody can be free of that. But, you know, just treating it as a habit that you're changing. So, but getting the restriction out of the way is a huge factor. It's very difficult to fully recover when you're still trying to restrict your calories and manipulate your body. So do you think then people who are still hoping for weight loss as their ultimate goal will um, sort of hinder their progress to recovery? You know, the short answer I would say overall is yes, but kind of the parsing that out a little bit, I know that if somebody would have told me like, hey, you have to give up any hope of losing weight, you know, to get over your eating disorder, I probably would have just really clung to the eating disorder because I was so terrified of gaining the weight. Mm -hmm. So I think that whatever that next step for you is, don't put any sort of have to's on yourself. Like if you just want to kind of work on these principles and these principles, I mean, I'm just assuming that, you know, people have access to the principles that I teach and about overcoming the disorder. But it's it's one of those things where just do that next step. You know, sometimes it comes later, you know, like, well, you know what, like, you know, maybe if I let go of this weight loss or maybe if I just stopped weighing myself so often or maybe if I was just OK with not beating myself up about eating some of these foods that are on my like evil foods list. So I would say, don't worry about doing everything at once. Mental shifts a lot of times happen over time. If you're just kind of opening or opened up, you know, to getting, you know, down the road with recovering from your eating disorder and then maybe open a little bit to, well, you know what, like maybe it would be okay if I just set aside my weight loss goals while I recover and then hopefully getting to the place of like, you know what, maybe I just realized that I can't manipulate and control my body and I, I'm actually happier not trying to be at an unnatural weight for myself all the time. But a lot of times it's a process. So don't worry that you have to figure it all out before you start down the road. Just start down the road. Yeah, and that's the, the part for me in the journey where I then had to accept my body as it was. 
or just not even see my body and just use my body in life and just be grateful for what it can do rather than hating it all the time because if I didn't let go of my ideal perfect body that I was always chasing for then I it would not let me recover yeah and I, I think that's a great thing to bring up and such a a beautiful thing too and for those who are listening who are like well you know how do you do that or I'm not there that's not the way that I feel you know, with my experience and with the clients that I work with, it's much less about a decision of like, well, now I'm going to just love my body and be grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Like that's so much easier said than, than done. Not yeah. that it doesn't have to be easy, but just that it's not usually a declaration. It's like, okay, well, am I open to, you know, maybe for a little while, even just today, not worrying about my weight or, you know, getting some clothes that fit right now, you know, so I don't have to be miserable all day in clothes that are too tight. Like there are so many little things that people can do that can really help their experience that when you're clinging to so much of like, well, I've got to recover from my eating disorder, but I can't gain a pound and I have to, you know, eat in this certain way. Just loosening up on those things a little bit can be the first steps. Our minds and our beliefs tend to change on their own when we're just reshifting our focus and being open to seeing it another way. That's a great question. Just, hey, are you, are you willing to see it another way? Ask that to yourself. Even for a little while, am I willing to see it another way if it's going to help me with my recovery? And how did you personally tackle that part of your journey? You mean the part of like the feelings that I had about my body and weight yeah. and that sort of thing? Yeah, so obviously you read the book and then that helped you with your habit and you stopped binge eating immediately. But then how did you feel about your body and did your weight change? Yes, so with my personal journey, I wouldn't recommend this for everyone. If you can start working on, you know, the, the body work and the way that you're feeling about your, your weight, you know, at the same time, I think that's much more beneficial. Um, you know, with my, my habit, I kind of had that under control. But for quite a while after that, I just felt so terrified of food and just so upset with my body. I did get to the point where I said, I am willing to gain a little bit of weight if I need to, to overcome and just feel better about food and like get the restriction. Cause I knew the restriction was really holding me back. It was, my body was kind of always at me to eat, eat more. And it was always so hungry because of the restriction. Yeah. So with my own personal journey, um, you know, I really just started putting good information in my life. Um, Summer Inden has a podcast called Fearless Rebel Radio. You know, just um, like Body Posse Panda is a great, you know, uh, Instagram account. Like I just started being open to listening to some of this more body positive stuff and just putting good stuff in my brain was kind of the first step. Um, the next thing that I did was... I was really aware of, and we, I don't know if we'll talk a little bit about this, but there's something that I teach called calling out the chatter, yeah. which is just a, a mindfulness practice of really being aware of your thoughts. So I would start being aware of those sorts of thoughts and saying them out loud of really how I felt about my body. Because when you have that awareness and you can look at it with your logical brain, um, it's an incredibly helpful thing to kind of, you know, shift your thinking and create new things. And then I, I really made the decision after a while of kind of letting my mind go that direction of not restricting anymore and letting go of food rules. And it was such a scary thing. Like, Nicola, I, the day that I decided on that, I just sat on my couch and I just cried and I cried and I just felt like I was gaining 50 pounds with every tear. Like <laughs> it was like such a scary thing. But what I have, what I realized for myself is when you let go of all the food restriction, you start being okay. Like it's not so scary. A lot of the, the overeating and the compulsive eating we do is just because it's a forbidden thing and it's so scary. So it may be wobbly at first, but like it, it's amazing how much less scary than you think it is on the other end. And when I took away the food restriction, it was amazing how peaceful my mind was. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was finally the point where I wasn't in a constant battle internally just with but my also thoughts like, like physiologically though when you actually fuel your body and your brain works properly and you can think clearly makes such a big difference it's an amazing thing isn't it it's like wow I could have been like operating like this yep. <laughs> so working on the body side and working on the deprivation side and you know what like 
everyone's body is different. Some people end their eating disorder and they gain weight. Some people lose weight. Some people stay the same. For me, I gained weight. I gained weight rapidly. And then I stopped gaining weight. And it was amazing. And I was amazingly the same weight that I was before I started trying to manipulate my body, which is nothing crazy. Like, I just, I have a body, you know, like I'm not naturally a supermodel. I'm more of a curvy, earthy kind of girl, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's this sort of stabilized weight where my body is really happy at. And I tried to just squish it down. It's kind of like, like holding a cork underneath the water. You have to take energy to hold it underneath. And if you let go, it pops up to the surface really fast, but it doesn't like fly into space and then just keep going. <laughs> I like, think mine's flying still. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Sometimes the, the cork <laughs> pops up above the water a little bit and then comes right back down. But there's sort of like this, this happy place for our bodies you know, people didn't have diets for thousands of years and they just ate stuff and their body let them know when they were full and let them know when they were hungry. And we don't have so much control over this and we don't need to. Like if you just start eating with the intention to be healthy and to not be crazy, it, things just kind of get real simple. Like eating turns into something more like your lungs breathing. You don't have to keep track of it all the time. It's just something you do. You can literally feel that way about your eating throughout the day. It's a natural thing that we just Mm -hmm. overcomplicate. So can we go way back then to like primitive days? And can you explain to us the two brains? I know you have a video on this as well, which I can link to in the show notes, but I think it's a great video and um, be brilliant for you to explain it to us. Yes, yes, good question. So the the way that I explain it is our, our two brains, we kind of have what I call the chatter brain, and we have what I call the you brain. So the chatter brain is sort of this primitive part of our brain that just does its job so well. And that job is to avoid pain, seek pleasure, and help us survive. Like, that's great. And the way that it does that is it perpetuates Um, habits. It's like, oh, well, we've been doing this so far. If we just keep doing that, like we'll still survive. So it's that part of your brain. It's, it's the part of your brain that does useful things in the past. Like when it finds a whole bush of berries, it will have you eat all of the berries until you're sick because it doesn't know when your next meal is coming from. So it always wants you to be eating more because eating means survival. It wants you to have, you know, like be prepared for the famine. So it's a sort of all or nothing thinking sort of brain. So yeah, that's your chatter brain. Then you have your you brain. Um, And the location of this is in your prefrontal cortex. Like if you put your hand on your forehead, like that's kind of where the you brain is. And it's the logical part of your brain that feels more like you. It's the part of your brain that's like, oh, we should listen to this podcast because this is good information because I want good things for my life. Like it's the kind of place in your brain where things are a little more peaceful, that it can look at your long-term goals, that it can realize like, oh, it's worth it to not do this right now because of something I want more later. It's the kind of part of your brain that enjoys the food that you're eating, that isn't doing it just because of a compulsion. So how this kind of plays out in real life is your you brain may see something like, you know, a brownie on the counter. And it may say like, oh, you know what? Like, if I eat that, uh, it'll taste good at first, but I'm going to be really tired later. And, you know, I really don't like the way the sugar makes me feel. And then your chatter brain will send you a message like, brownies, brownies. Oh my gosh, eat that brownie. Let's see how we can get more brownies. Let's see if somebody else isn't finishing their brownie and maybe we can have theirs too. I wonder if they let us take some brownies home. Oh, you know what? We could say that we could take some back for our kids and we'll really eat them, but that's like an acceptable way to get around this. Oh my gosh. And then once we eat the brownies, what else can we eat? Oh my gosh, can we have ice cream at home? We could have ice cream with the brownies. So if you notice like your the tones of these brains are different, but what happens is that they're both saying stuff in our same head. So it kind of turns into this identity crisis of like, what's wrong with me? Like, I told myself I wasn't going to eat brownies today, but I had this part of myself that really, really wants brownies. So we have these two sorts of brains that have competing messages that when we understand what's happening, we can choose, we can navigate one amazing thing 
about our brains is that that chatter brain doesn't have the ability to make us do anything. It can't make us reach for the brownie. It can't make us put something in our mouth. It can't make us walk to the kitchen. So our speech and us, our movement, the chatter brain can't do anything. The only thing it can do is try to convince you that it's you, that you really want it. Because the you brain is the part that actually makes the decisions. So you can listen to your chatter brain all day, but your you brain can choose to not act on those thoughts because your you brain is the one in control of what you actually do. And understanding that is really powerful because when you know how to kind of navigate the chatter brain thoughts and not believe them and just observe them, then you can choose what you actually do with your you brain once you kind of know you're in the driver's seat. Was that did that kind of sum it up? Like is there anything yeah. that I'm I'm missing there? No, I think that's so important, but I'm just thinking there where it's so important, obviously, if you start eating properly as well, because if you are still restricting and you're, I guess the chatter brain is going to be louder than the other brain because you need to eat food. So it's going to, you know, be so loud for your survival to make you eat the food. Yeah, that's a great thing to bring up. Um, your chatter brain will a lot of times get to a point where it's, it's incessant. So in actuality, if you said, I have total control, I am going to not eat anything that's off my meal plan and I'm just going to observe my chatter brain. In theory, you could do that because your chatter brain can't make you do anything. But your chatter brain will also not shut up because its highest priority is your survival. So it will say anything that it needs to, anything to convince you. It'll say mean things. It'll say nice things. It'll say, and it won't stop talking. It's a full-time job is your survival. So there are a lot of women walking around trying to do this, this game of, well, I'm just going to do what I decided with my meal plan, but they have no mental bandwidth for anything else. Like they're living the crazy life because when this is taking up all of your mental bandwidth and your chatter brain is just yelling at you all day long, it's a miserable, crazy place. So you could, but it's not going to be sustainable because a lot of times we'll give in and just say, okay, I'll eat the brownie because we're just so tired of this constant, constant mental chatter. Mm -hmm. So the, the balance of that is just letting your chatter brain know that you're safe. Like when you're eating adequately, what happens is your chatter brain doesn't have to yell at you all day long to eat because you're doing it. So that's one really sort of mental freedom piece. And it's, it's worth it for anyone listening who's like, well, I'm different. I'll be able to function, you know, with, with still eating my very limited amount of food because I have to be this lean or whatever it is. Like, you know what? Your body will do all sorts of things to get you to eat enough. It can slow your metabolism. You know, it can really, you know, it can turn off your hunger cues. Like your body will fight. So stop fighting with your body. Like, eat adequately, do what you need to do to have your body feel safe so you don't have to be in a war with your brain all the time. So do you think the people who do eat enough and then they still have the chatter to make them eat more, is that because they're mentally restricting so they're maybe having the food but then they're feeling bad and shame and guilt over having that food? Yeah, that, that a lot of times can, can be it. It's interesting um, because your, your brain tends to go in this cycle. Like, remember that your chatter brain is just going to say whatever works, right? So if you have a pattern of like, okay, well, I'm not going to restrict anymore. I'm going to eat the brownie. I'm just staying with brownies. There's nothing special about those. That's just kind of been the theme so far. Yep. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have the brownie. And then you'll have this feeling. And a lot of people don't realize that this is the chatter a lot of times. The chatter will say, eat the brownie. Okay, I eat the brownie. And then the chatter will say, what is wrong with you? You said you weren't going to eat brownies. Oh my gosh, you're going to gain weight. Because the discomfort of that thought, the only way to comfort ourselves is to do what? Oh, eat more brownies. Mm -hmm. So it's actually... A mechanism that your chatter brain uses the guilt and all that to get you <laughs> to actually eat more so when we can really take away the guilt like take away the mental deprivation and the physical deprivation that can be really helpful and if all of those things are gone and you're still doing this behavior um, a lot of times it's just it's just a habit and when you realize like oh I can break that habit of overeating or whatever it is you know refine what we do um, then that can be a really helpful thing but a host of ills. So many things are helped and cured by just eating adequately and not feeling bad about what we eat. 
um, that's a huge good first step. If you're like, I'm done with my eating disorder, doing those things are going to get you way ahead. So you talk about it all as if it's so easy and in a very lighthearted and and fun way, but when you're doing it, it's so hard. So what kind of uh, resistance have you come up with clients in, in doing the work? Yeah, good question. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe it's hard, maybe it's easy. I think a lot of it is our perspective. Like it seems hard if we feel like it's going to be hard, but the, the focus that I always want to give people is just practice. Most of the time, the hard that seems to be there is because we put so much pressure on ourselves. So much like, okay, well, I, I have to get over this and like, I, I have to fix this right away and I have to be perfect. And when it's really just like, you know what, we're just building a skill. We're just practicing. We're just experimenting. Like, let's just get down the road. It really can be a lighthearted sort of fun journey. Like why not have fun along the way? Um, so, you know, in the practice of, you know, being free from these sorts of things, like you can just take it all as data. That's another thing that I, I like to tell people is like, you know what? It's it's just data. Like, oh, look at that. You binged. Crazy, right? What sort of what sort of thoughts did you have? What sort of chatter? This is really interesting data. This is really going to help us next time. And really kind of skipping the whole beat ourselves up on the other end. So I find that that's probably the biggest thing that comes up with clients is just the pressure they put on themselves. If you can take off the pressure and just focus on, hey, this is all data. This is all information. We're you know just practicing these principles. It's in that place that recovery is often quickest because it doesn't have to be so heavy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really good way to think of it, actually. Um, And my next question, obviously, you're a mum, and I mentioned your little girl already. She's she's lovely. Um, But I really struggle. So I've got two girls. I've actually got a teenage girl who's seen me go through the whole work. She's seen me, you know, losing weight and dieting and everything. I even did bodybuilding. She came and watched me in my shows. So she saw me go through my eating disorder, and now she's seen me completely change. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe because she's older now that, she luckily she wasn't affected by it and she's you know doing her life her way but I have my younger one who's five and she asked me questions about food and she listens to certain things and I wondered how do you deal with that because I know obviously your daughter's in a lot of your videos so she she talks along with you and understands a lot of the things that you're talking about so how, how do you manage parenting her and then trying to teach her to eat healthy without it becoming anything too much. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good question. And I am certainly, you know, still still learning with all this stuff. But a, a few things that have been really helpful um, so far is, I think just the parenting perspective that I take is like, you're going to mess up your kids. You're going to do stuff wrong. Like they will be able to blame all of their strange thinking and disorders and everything negative in their life. They'll be able to blame it on you because you're the one who raised them. So it's like, okay, you already messed them up. Okay. (laughs) Now, now that's out of the way, right? Like there's no sort of perfect record to not, you know, mess them up to keep, you know, it's like you already messed them up. So that's step number one. (laughs) Um, Step number two, I would say is just, I feel like my daughter will benefit so much more from seeing me admit that I was wrong, from seeing me struggle with something and then working through it. Like I take more of an approach of let her see my journey because her growing up with the skills to work through her own problems, I think will serve her much better than whatever comes from being able to watch a perfect mom your whole life because none of us are perfect. So I think those are the things, you know, first in place. And then, you know, I'm willing to tell her that, you know, I was wrong. And this is what I believe now. I would love for her to grow up with the skill of being able to change things and look at her thinking and behaviors and admit that she was wrong. Um, I, I do teach her these principles. I think that they're they're really useful. Um, I think that one, oh, just so, you know, it's hard because we just live in a world that is just sort of insane in the way that it it emphasizes thinness and, you know, especially for women, like, oh, it's just, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Um, historically, it's really interesting to look at how we all got that way. Um, but I think that creating a safe space at home, like I, I hope that it, it's, it's hard because this is the world that I live in. So it's something that I'm, you know, always trying to move toward and I, I won't be perfect in, but I try to just, I never mention her weight. I never mention her size. I never say like, you're eating too much or, you know, why are you doing that? Like, 
you know, I, I try to emphasize like things that she's eating that are healthy, you know, like if she's, if she wants, you know, dessert or whatever, and we decide to have a, have a dessert together, you know, for her to, sometimes she'll say things like, oh, you know, like this is bad. This is sugary. You know, she'll have this sort of idea. And I, you know, I'll say things like I'll redirect and try to kind of give her this perspective of, you know what, it is sugary. It has sugar, but what would make it bad? And ask her questions and let her think about it. And she's like, well, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not healthy. Well, if you eat something less healthy, is that bad? Is there good or bad with food? And for her to kind of realize like, oh, there's no moral judgment here. Like, you know, I might say things like, you know, I choose to not eat sugary stuff a lot because I don't like the way that it makes me feel. And I want to put, you know, things that take care of my body in it. But I also really like the way that it tastes. And I think that it's fun to share this dessert together. So I guess, you know, it's both things. And for her to kind of think of her food in that way of there's not a moral judgment, you know, having questions, being willing to, to challenge sort of those automatic things, you know, when she notices people's weight, you know, to just, it starts with you. Like we teach our children the things that we believe ourselves and we don't even mean to because the things that we believe just come out of our mouths. Yeah. So I think if we just work on what we believe, um, that it kind of automatically spills over to our children are more likely to be like us, you know, do as we do, not as we say, you know. And um, so I just think the, the example of believing those good things and just kind of letting those come out of you as opposed to how do I parent my kids in this? How do I not mess up my kids? Maybe it's more of how do I just be myself and improve who that is? And the pause, be that person and not worry about it so much. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's kind yeah, of a few definitely. things in my perspective. That is a really good answer because I think that's probably me. I do think maybe I need to do it a little bit perfect. So <laughs> I need to just relax a bit on that and just do it my way. And then obviously that the words will come out of my mouth and then she'll learn and follow from that. And kids have their own journey. You know what I mean? In life, like if we think of all the crazy things that we've thought and done throughout our life, like we're still here and we're okay. Like a lot of times we'll say, you know, if they develop an eating disorder later in life, like, oh, what could I have done differently? You know what? Maybe nothing. Maybe that's just their journey. Like it's not our gig. Like they're doing their own thing and we're doing our own thing and just loving them all through it, you know, I think is one of the best things. Yeah. So you're out there helping everybody. You are the life life coach. So who's helping you? Who is your go-to person? Oh, I love that question. Um, I feel like there are so many great voices out there. Um, there are so many like really life-changing books that have helped me. There's like, you know, media that I put into my brain that I think has been a huge thing. Um, of course, like just on my own personal journey, um, Brene Brown, um, she's one of my favorite authors. I read one a, a book of hers called The Gifts of Imperfection. And that was kind of the point for me where authenticity became more important. And that was a really important thing for me. Of course, Katherine Hansen and her book, Brain Over Binge, was kind of that final piece yeah. that changed things with my eating disorder, which is a huge thing. And I feel like just finding mentors in your life. Um, I have an amazing woman in my life. Her name is Kim Fisk. She's my mother in love. And um, she's <laughs> just been a person who is she she's worked on herself so much. She's such like a self-actualized, like just personal development sort of person. Um, and she's just so loving. Like, I feel like finding people that you, that you just want to be like, that you can realize like, wow, their energy, like their vibration is at a higher place than mine. Like spend more time around those people. Like, I feel like I've been so fortunate to find people like that in my world that have just uplifted me and they don't have to be people that you know you know they may be authors and they may be you know podcasters and they may be youtube personalities but really just kind of filling filling your life with those sorts of people i've had so many personal mentors and i feel like you know every good coach has a coach you know so definitely yeah and i do believe because as a coach in this type of profession there's a lot of energy out energy out with all of your clients so you need to have something that's for you so that you can like plug back in and, and get some energy for yourself. I absolutely agree. And I feel like, you know, as a coach, your own personal experience is just so important for you to really, you know, practice what you're, you're teaching others. And so a lot of times, like, 
you know, to, to feel like it's in good balance with my life. And like, you know what I am, I'm going to take this time for me and I'm just going to have quiet time and I'm going to, you know, not schedule anything because that makes me a better coach. You know, like it's not something I'm doing to take away from my coaching. It's something that I'm doing because it's important for my coaching to be a happy person myself. Yeah. So can I ask you, um, I saw a video that you did earlier on today, actually with, um, Catherine Hansen. So you're doing some more work together, are you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So this is so fun. Okay, so um, Catherine Hansen wrote the book Brain Over Binge. And I almost, that book was so life-changing for me. I almost didn't read it because I'm an audiobook person. Like, I love just audiobooks. So there wasn't an audiobook. So when I realized how scarily close I came to not reading that because there wasn't an audiobook, um, just, it's just kind of a fun story of like how I almost missed it. So, um, Catherine, I mean, we, we do videos together and we'll be partnering and, you know, doing some, some programs and workshops and like, she's just such a hero of mine. I'm so happy I get to, to work with her every so often. Um, but we actually, we are tracking it back. We don't even know whose idea it was first, but Catherine had been wanting to do an audio book. Um, the experience of her recording, it wasn't really a fit for her and she didn't want somebody to do it that, you know, didn't really have a personal attachment to the story. And it just kind of ended up that we started a project where I narrated the Brain Over Binge audiobook. So that is actually live um, now. Like as you're like whoever's listening to this, it should be out by now. Oh, wow. um, it just Brain Over Binge on Audible.com, and it's written by Katherine Hansen and narrated by me. And it's just a really fun thing. So that's probably our most recent thing that we've we've done together. And it's just been sort of a a wonderful dream full circle thing of mine to narrate the book that changed my life sorry my daughter's in the background <laughs> oh no that's great I'm like you can actually do podcasts so I can have my daughter in the background for it that makes it easier so um yeah so finally I just wanted to um you know thank you for being on the show but also just if you could share maybe your social media and website and things so people can follow you and see what work you've got coming up Yes, absolutely. So um, LydiaVideo.com um, is my YouTube channel and I come out with a new video every Monday. And my theory is just like, let's just get this information out to as many people as possible because it's just, it's life-changing information that I just want everyone to know about. I feel like that's the biggest obstacle is like more people don't know about this. So um, you can subscribe there and be notified every Monday when there's a new video. They can also go to LydiaWenty.com um, or LydiaLifestyle.com and they can get their free ebook. Um, I have an ebook with 14 interactive videos in it and it's called How to Stop binge eating and be successful at everything else um, and there's lots of like freebies and fun things there um, they'll be able to subscribe to the, the newsletter and I just want to put lots of great content out there so everything that I just said is absolutely free um, and I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching and group programs and so lots of great stuff there um, if they just look up Lydia Wenty they should be able to find me on you know my Facebook page and Instagram and all of that brilliant and I'll leave all of those links in the show notes so thank you so much, Lydia. Thank you for having me on. It's been so fun to chat. You're and welcome. just thank you for being such a wonderful voice in what you do and all the bravery that, you know, the brave steps that you've taken in your own life, you know, to, to be authentic and to give other women permission to be free as well from, you know, all of the, the crazy things that we get into that we can really, you know, have freedom from. Thank you. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, fustalfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustalfit.co.uk.